0: Our text tonight is in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. And so I was talking this morning with Mr. Todd Tulio. He was saying he noticed that the title of tonight's sermon is The Rejected Rock. So he said you must be preaching from Peter. That's a good observation. Remember, we've been talking about how Peter's name means rock. Jesus had some nicknames for some of his disciples, and he named him Peter or Petros. And you know if something is petrified it's been turned to stone or rock and so Peter takes on this name and it kind of becomes part of his identity and as he's reading through the Old Testament he sees some quotes in Isaiah and he quotes them here in our passage tonight he's picking up on these themes of the rock who's to come and there's many different illustrations in scripture that identify our relationship with God you know he is God and we are man but he also calls us the Bride of Christ. Christ is our Bridegroom, and we are the Bride. He says that Christ is the Head, and we are the Body. He is the King, and we are the Kingdom. There's many different illustrations, but in tonight's passage, Peter uses the illustration of a spiritual house, a temple, as it were, being built together, and we are all living stones, and we are the living place of God Himself. And this is the illustration that we're going to look at Tonight, from Peter, and I think this is appropriate because if you remember what Jesus was born into, uh, you know back in this day, the the men had certain trades, and the craftsmen would pass on their craft generation by generation as they would have apprenticeships and We tend to think of Jesus as a carpenter, and that 's not wrong it 's not a mistranslation. But the word behind carpenter is a little bit more of a, a broad term. It's tecton. If you think of the tectonic plates, it's the building of the, the construction of the rocks, the plates of rock beneath the earth's surface. And so what Jesus was doing, and, or at least Joseph, they were building with masonry and construction working. Okay? So this is, not, this is why we see Jesus is not the crossbeam. He's the cornerstone. Right? They're building with stones and rocks. Uh, and you know one of the things that really helped me to understand this passage was last year on the mission trip. Uh, several of us had the opportunity to go to Ciudad Juarez, and we were doing many things there. Uh, we had a, a vacation Bible school like English camp um, and, and many other things. but one of the primary things we were doing is we were sent there to help build a church and It was a very fascinating process, and I hope to to draw from this this concept of building up this church and some of our experiences there uh, as we walk through this passage in first peter but before we attempt to read god's word and understand it and apply it to our lives let's go to the lord in prayer and ask him for help would you pray with me once again father in heaven we thank you for your word we know that Your word is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing to the division of both soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So Lord God, would you use your word to sanctify us? Sanctify us with your truth. Your word is truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. Listen to God's word. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted, the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone... All our glory, beauty and endurance is like a flower in a meadow. The grass withers, the flower fades and falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. As we were getting ready to do some of the construction on the mission trip, we had each day uh, a moment of uh, safety tips. There were rules and and guidelines to keep us safe and to keep us on task and as many of you know, if you're going to do any type of construction, you've got to be very careful because there's sharp objects, there's all sorts of things. Uh, it can be dangerous, but also you want to make sure that you're doing the construction properly so that the building doesn't come crumbling down and have some sort of a Samson episode. So we had these safety moments each, each day. You know, if you're going to be cutting wire, you need to make sure you're wearing the goggles, you're, if you're around the trench area, you don't need to be running and jumping because there's uh, rebar sticking up and you can get really hurt. You can get impelled on these things. And there's all these rules and guidelines. And that's actually where Peter starts when he's going to talk about us building up, us doing this construction of the Lord's house, the church of Jesus Christ. He lists five things that we need to put away, that we don't need to do. We can't have this on the construction site. Listen to these five things. So put away all malice. The first one is malice. And this word malice is kind of a, a generic catch-all term for things that are bad, when someone's up to no good. Okay, They're off on their own, doing their own plan. They're not sticking to the rules and the regulations and the guidelines that have been set up by the people in authority. right? They're off and they're up to no good. right? So we can't have any of that on the construction site of God's church. We need to put away all malice and deceit. So put away all malice and all deceit. And I love this word, deceit. I'm so glad he says deceit because deceit is a lot more descriptive than just lying, I think. Sometimes we tend to think that there's Something is like we call a white lie. I don't even. I'm not sure what a white lie is. It's a half truth is not true at all, right? Which is why when we swear in a court of law, I swear to I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. If you take out any part of that formula, then you're left with deceit. And so, as Christians, we cannot deceive one another. We we cannot be telling even just these little white lies and. ...and tearing down the work of the construction... ...because when we're dishonest with one another... ...we can't communicate well to build up God's church. All malice and all deceit. The third one is hypocrisy. If we're going to build up God's church... ...if we're going to be edified spiritually... ...we can't be wearing a mask. We need to be, again, honest with one another... ...not deceiving one another... ...but being real and open with our struggles... ...and helping one another, bearing one another's burdens and getting rid of the hypocrisy on the construction side of God's church. The fourth one he mentions here is envy. This is a very important thing to get rid of if we're going to be edifying to one another because I think it becomes a temptation for us many times, as Christians even, to envy one another's not just possessions and belongings, but spiritual gifts even. This is a very tricky type of envy because it seems like an honorable thing to say, well, that person has an amazing spiritual gift, but I don't don't have that spiritual gift. I, I can't serve the church because I can't serve the church like that person does. But when you're looking at that, you're not actually elevating the other person's gift. You're belittling the gift that God is giving you. You know, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, and the Holy Spirit distributes gifts as he pleases to whomever he will. And you've been given a gift. If You've been given a spiritual gift if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And so don't belittle that gift. Go out and serve and be thankful that the Lord has given you that gift. And if you're not sure what that gift is, that's okay. Go and serve anyway. Others will confirm your gifts. Others will help you to discern the will of God in your life and as you seek to build up one another in the church. So we can't envy one another, it's not just their belongings, but their gifts from God. The fifth thing that he says that we need to make sure we don't have on our construction site is slander. Slander is uh, this broad concept of saying things bad about people, but also to them or behind their back. It's really anything that's not edifying. This is speech that tears down. It could be a snide remark. It could be uh, anything that's not edifying for the person who's hearing it. And slander, this, this speech that tears down can be like a huge demolition wrecking ball coming in to destroy all the labor that we're doing as a body of believers. Even if you've got all four other things off the construction site, if you've got this big wrecking ball, then we've got major problems. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And then Peter moves on in verses 2 and 3 to shift from a specific list of guidelines that we need to get rid of, to an attitude that we need to have as we're laboring, as we're on this construction site. You know, how do we need to be thinking? Peter says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter, you want me to be like an infant? No, no, that's insulting. I'm going to be an expert. I need to understand everything about this area where I'm serving so I can do it excellently. I need to be the best at this. I need to be able to offer God and the body of believers my expertise. But he says, no, you need to act like an infant in the sense that you're wholly depending and trusting on God alone for the edification of his church. It's not about you and your abilities, it's about God providing the work and working through us. And so, just as Jesus tells them tells the disciples, "Let the little children come to me." In fact, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you want to be in the kingdom of God, then you're going to have to be like a child. You're going to have to depend on him as a dad, as a father to provide everything that you need, to provide the building materials, yes, but even the strength To construct the church once you've got the building materials. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So this is, he's talking to believers here. If you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we're going to come back to that. But I want to mention that because he's talking to believers. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. This word pure here is actually the same but the opposite of the word deceit. Okay, It's actually anti-deceitful milk. Now, in English, that means pure milk, right? But what is anti-deceitful milk? Well, deceitful milk, I think of if you get in the refrigerator and you've got a jug of milk and it's past expiration date, if you pour it and it's got chunks coming into your glass, at that point, you know, I'm not drinking this milk. But if you pour it and it's not chunky, maybe you don't notice that it's past expiration date, and it's just gone bad, just spoiled enough to make you sick, but you don't know it. Maybe you don't even taste it. That's the tricky spiritual milk. That's the, the milk that's full of deceit. And that's anything that's contrary to God's word. God's word is the true spiritual milk that nourishes us and edifies us and builds us up. That by it, verse 2, you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted That the Lord is good. I love this expression. Pastor Duncan quotes it often. As we take the Lord's Supper, as He lifts the cup, as we're about to take it, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is how we refute the tricky milk—the things that maybe don't seem like they're so bad. This is not murder. This is really—it's—it's okay. The Lord wants me to be happy, and I think this will make me happy. So. You know, I'll rationalize it. It's going to be okay. I I can do this. The only way to combat that temptation is by remembering the taste that you have in your mouth when the Lord has come through by answering prayers, by giving you blessings, by nourishing you in times of difficulty and trouble. Has the Lord blessed you? Has the Lord answered any of your prayers? Think back on those times. Remember them. Thank God for them. And leave that taste of God's goodness in your mouth. And then all of a sudden, that spoiled milk just seems rotten and disgusting. And I don't don't want to do that. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. This is the attitude that we are to have as we enter the construction site. Now, when he comes to verse 4, throughout basically the remainder of this passage, he gets on this topic of the rock and our construction. And he says, As you come to him, a living stone... Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. This really finally started making sense to me when uh, we were on the mission trip, and um, one of the the best builders, craftsmen I've seen, his name was Chewy. And Chewy was the fastest bricklayer you've ever seen. We've got these um, massive cinder blocks. You know, it kind of looks like a figure eight. It's got the middle divider for support, these uh, concrete cinder blocks. And he's throwing them around like they're little paper toys and just bricks or whatever. And I'm like twice the size and having to use two hands. But what happened was there was, a, there was one of these cinder blocks that was broken, and it kind of just looked like it was shattered in pieces. It was not even a complete half of a cinder block. And it was right there in the way, and so I, I picked it up out of the trench, and I put it up on top of the level ground, which is about six feet high. And then I go on doing the work that Chewy had me doing. And then at some point, Chewy says, hey, can you hand me that cinder block? And I'm looking around trying to figure out what he's talking about. And then I finally realize he's talking about the chipped off, broken um, cinder block. And he says, that's the one I need. And at this point, I'm thinking, Chewy's been in the sun too long. We need to get him some water. But Chewie was the master craftsman. He knew that that was the exact size that he needed because there's rebar coming out and it was the perfect place that it it would fit no uh, no other block would have fit if it were a complete block a block like i thought would work it, it wouldn't fit and so this is what peter is saying the block that is seems like a castaway it seems like you wouldn't use that for construction that's the very piece that god uses that's actually going to become the cornerstone Let's read on in verse 5. You yourselves are like living stones, being built up as a spiritual house. So not only is Jesus Christ a stone, but we all, in our union with him, our union and communion by the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the bond that unites us to him, we are made living stones too. And we get to participate in the construction of God's temple. We are living stones just as he is a living stone Being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. He points back to Isaiah 26, and this is what he says Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion. I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The cornerstone, to me, seems like almost an insignificant piece. Like I think of the foundation as important, the walls, you know, the pillars, the roof. Those are the important pieces. What's the deal with the, the cornerstone? And obviously I'm showing my ignorance here. But the cornerstone is the most important piece as you're laying these cinder blocks as we were in Juarez. Uh, in fact, it was so important that we had to have Chewy always lay the very first cornerstone because the cornerstone it sets the tone and it sets the direction for the rest of the stones that are laid. And if you mess up the cornerstone even if you get every other stone in line with the cornerstone it's all a disaster and the house comes crumbling down. So Chewy would lay the cornerstone and then I could come behind him and I could lay the other pieces in conformity with the cornerstone. And that's what Peter's saying. I want you to be like living stones in line with and connected into, engrafted in with Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. I think of the mortar that we had to lay, and it solidifies and connects. And once it's in there and it's on and connected with the cornerstone, you you can't just pull it out. It's there. It's connected. It's in the cornerstone. That's what he says he wants our relationship to be with the Lord. And whoever believes in him, that's how you're united. That's the mortar. If you have trust in Jesus Christ... You will not be put to shame. You see, the house that God is building cannot be demolished. You will not be put to shame if you're a part of God's temple. So the honor is for you who believe. Okay, the honor is for you who believe. Now, that sounds great at first, but wait a second. You're saying that we're living stones like Jesus is the cornerstone. He's a living stone. But he was rejected. Right? he was He was thrown out, he was cast away and you 're saying that if i 'm going to be like that that 's how i 'm going to have honor this is this is exactly contrary to what the world would have you believe what 's honor? Honor is glory honor is being praised and accepted it 's being included into the group it 's being liked that 's honor, but Jesus says no honor is being rejected by the world when you are shamed and and cast out, when you are persecuted, when you're tempted and tried by the world, when you're made fun of for Christ, you will receive even more honor than if you hadn't. So that's how he's able to say, I count it all joy, my brothers, when I encounter various trials. When we meet these things that seem dishonorable, that's where all the honor actually comes in. So the honor is for you who believe. And he shifts his tone a little bit. But on the other hand, for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Now, when I was taking these cinder blocks, if I would put them out of what I thought was our working space, if it's on the walkway, then it becomes a hazard. It becomes especially a hazard if it's got jagged edges, and it's not where people are expecting a rock or a cinder block to be. And at that point, it becomes a stumbling block. And people on the construction site can trip on it. And when you trip on this block in a scary little trench where rebar is sticking up and you can be impelled, this all of a sudden becomes a very serious deal. This is what he means when he says that Jesus is the stumbling block. The very same means by which he saves people The people who reject him, that's their own condemnation. So the very same stone that is the cornerstone in which we are engrafted and become living stones, that's the same stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. And why do they stumble? They stumble because they disobey the word, just as they were destined to do. They didn't listen to the guidelines. They didn't listen to God's word, the instructions. If you would just listen, watch out. There's a stumbling block here unless you use this and apply it to your life and say, I want to be engrafted into the living stone. If you don't listen to God's word and reject it, reject Jesus Christ, and you will stumble if you disobey the word. But you, however, he returns to talking to us as believers, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, A holy nation of people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love that he goes on to say this because he clears up what may be in the back of some of your minds. Okay, I've been called some some pretty crazy things. Um, Even in scripture, God calls us sheep, right? And sheep are really dumb and that's almost kind of insulting. But now he says I'm a rock. And I don't understand, why would he call us a rock? That doesn't seem very personal. It doesn't seem like an intimate relationship. How can you have a relationship with a rock? Well, the rock illustration is for the building purposes. But then he goes on to say, you're more than just building pieces. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And not just that, he wants you to go out and proclaim the excellencies." of the one who calls you out of this darkness and into his marvelous light. So if we understand what God is doing in our lives and the, the excellent things that he has done in grafting us into Jesus Christ, having a personal relationship with him, then that's going to fuel our desire to go share that with other people. Let me tell you about the light. You're in darkness. I want to help you. Let me bring you into the light so you don't trip over the stumbling block. It would be nice to end there and say, isn't it wonderful how much Jesus loves us? Isn't it wonderful how much God loves us because we are his own possession? We are a chosen race. Aren't we so great? God loves us so much. We are such great builders. Now let's go out and let's construct God's church, and then let's close in prayer. And we do want to do that. We do want to work hard for the glory of God. But ultimately, this is not about us. This is not about our labor. This is not about us constructing God's church. We don't build God's church. We're instruments through which God builds his church. And I think one of the most amazing things about this is uh, when I think about that rock that was chipped and broken, it wasn't an accident. You see, I didn't know this ahead of time, but Chewy had actually taken a hammer and a chisel And he beat that cinder block. He beat down the concrete until it was the exact shape that he needed. And you see, God the Father, in his infinite justice and divine mercy, takes a hammer and a chisel upon his own son, the living stone, the one that the builders rejected, but God himself has taken and he chiseled him. Who was it that crucified Jesus? It was the lawlessness of the sinners at the time, of course. But it was also according to God's plan. You see, God the Father poured out his wrath. And it looks as if he's destroying his only son. But he did that so that we could be engrafted into him. He did that so that Jesus could become the cornerstone. So if you trust in Jesus Christ... If you repent of your sin and look to him for your salvation, then you will be engrafted into him, and you will not stumble upon the stumbling block. And that alone is where our hope is found. Our hope is not found in following the checklist of the guidelines, the first five things we talked about. Our hope is not found in working as hard as we can. Our hope is not found in sharing the gospel with as many people as we can. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, and righteousness let's pray father in heaven we cannot begin to understand or comprehend the wrath that you poured out upon your son but we thank you for it we ask that you would impress upon our hearts the truth of your word that if we trust in jesus christ We repent of our sins. We will be engrafted into Christ as the cornerstone. And we will be edifying to one another. And you will give us the true spiritual milk that we need to grow and to have joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and contentment. Lord, we ask that our hope would be on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That we wouldn't trust any other thing, but that we would lean on Jesus' name